All right, if you've got a Bible, we're going to go to, this is the last installment of our series, which we've entitled, For You Are With Me, and this will be the last sermon, and I'm excited to preach it to you. So go with me, if you have a Bible, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Read two places. I'm going to read from the New King, New King James Version this morning. I'm going to start in verse 35. It says, On the same day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I'll read one more place to kind of set us up for this morning. Psalm chapter 46. This is God, and he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. For the last part in our series, I'd like to simply title this talk, Be Still. Be Still. God, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you, you hear us when we pray. You see us as we go about our life. Lord, you, you've never lost track of us and you won't lose track of us now. Thank you, God, that we can sense you in this moment. Pray for people that are in church. Maybe this is their first time that they would experience and encounter you in a very, very real way. And for those of us that have been doing this for a long time, God, help us to encounter you afresh right now in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Be still. What a great directive. <laughs> I have, I've said this before, and I will say it as long as I'm up here. Every time I get up on the stage and read scripture and, and kind of share with you, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. In fact, probably more to myself than to you. And so I feel this for us as we kind of end this series. There's something about it. There's something supernatural in us having the confidence and faith to be still in all moments. There is a big difference between knowing how to control things and knowing that things are under control, right? There's a big difference. It seems, like, it seems like semantics, but it's not. There's a difference between knowing how to control things as opposed to knowing that things are under control. In one respect, uh, if I'm controlling things, I'm going to make it do what it do. That's kind of a saying we have around our family. I'm like, hey, we're going to make it do what it do. And what I mean when I say that is like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to make it do what it do. You know, right? like, and that's me controlling things. And there's certain things I can control. But then there's times I have no control over the situation. And it's in those moments where I have to learn, where we have to learn to just be still and trust. Trust that God has all things under control. There's the difference between controlling it and it being under control. Um, for instance, um, the other day we have a family text with my, my kids and my wife and I think it was my daughter Serenity. She texted, she's like, the Wi-Fi is down at the house. And so I respond, okay, when I get home, I'll figure it out. I don't know how to figure that out. I don't understand Wi-Fis and all those things, but what I do is I go there, I unplug it and I plug it back in. I, I knock it with like a, a hammer or something like that. I just do things, you know, push buttons, reset, drop it, <laughs> you know, like whatever. And sometimes it just works. And so I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll try and get there. I'm gonna make it do what it do. I'm trying to figure this out. And then my wife responds, she's like, oh, Judah, Judah's here. 
Don't worry about it. And that, Judah's my oldest son. Now, Judah is a brilliant genius when it comes to all things technical, digital, things that ride the airwaves, float in the clouds, all those things he just gets. And so instantly when I saw that, I'm like, oh, no need for me to be there, right? It's under control. I mean, I can't control it. But if Judah, if my son Judah's there, they're like, you actually would rather Judah take care of it than you would want me to take care of, right? It's under control. This baptismal tank right here. Um, we've had so many issues with it. Staying warm. It's super warm today. For those of you getting baptized, that's like a hot tub. Afterwards, we're going to party if anyone wants to join. Um, I remember Victoria was on our team. She called me one day. She's like, hey, the baptismal, that thing, it's not heating. And I was like, okay. I'll swing by. Again, what am I going to do? I don't know. Like, I did do one thing. There was one morning, you don't even know this, about a year ago, we had baptisms, the first ones we had, and we came in, and it was freezing cold. Do you know what I did? Here's how I fixed I boiled like 50 pots of hot water. Literally, I did this, and I was just walking back and forth, dumping hot water. It didn't change it one degree, by the way. Little coffee pots. It didn't even do anything. I don't know how to fix it. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll show up. I'll see what I can do. And then a little bit later, she called me. She said, oh, Travis. Travis is going to be there. And Travis, if you don't know Travis, he's my brother-in-law. He's also a care pastor, him and his wife here. Travis has the ability to fix all things, right? Like anything that is anything that requires hands and, and a brain, Travis can. And so I instantly was like, oh, I'm not even going by. I didn't even think about it again. Because I'm like, if Travis is there, it's under control. Uh, we have a sign out here when you walk in. It fell last Sunday. You didn't know it because we fixed it before you got here. I walked in about 9 a.m. I'm like, oh, man, sign. It's on the ground. Big sign, not just a little sign. So I'm like, okay, duct tape because on the seventh day, God rested and also made duct tape. And so duct tape is kind of my fix for everything. If my car's broken, I duct tape it. I really do. I hang things by duct tape. And so I'm like, and then someone said, oh, Wilson's coming. He's going to take care of it. Wilson. If you don't know Wilson, Wilson's a care pastor in our community. He's preached on this stage. And Wilson can literally build anything. He could build this building. In fact, he built many buildings that we walk in all around this city. And so Wilson, when I heard that Wilson was coming, I'm like, yo, it's under control. <laughs> I don't got to do anything. When my sons hit middle school and it was time to have the sex talk. <laughs> I was like, all right. I'm going to do this. And in fact, in that moment, I was probably the best guy to do it. I'm their dad. And so we had the sex talk. And I think it went pretty well. I mean, I don't think they think it went well because no kid wants to talk about sex with their dad, right? But I mean, I did a good job. And I explained when the mama bear loves the daddy bear, you know, and I kind of, I broke it down for him. Then my daughter went to middle school. I remember being like, um, I guess maybe I could try and possibly breach the topic and maybe just, you know, uh, and I'm just, I'm, I'm stumbling and my wife goes, I got this. And I was like, thank God. Right. Cause like, it's one thing for me to try and fix it and have it under control, but to know that my wife is going to have to talk with my daughter, it's under control. It's handled. That's just the way the Friendsgiving thing that's happening here on the 11th. I remember when the idea came across and they were like, Hey, what if we did this? And I remember being like, um, I guess, I mean, I guess I can try and find time and space and I suppose I could ask people to bring food. If not, I'll just like grill brats and hamburgers and stuff, you know, and I'm like trying to figure it out. And then my wife and Aaron Kadiri and one of the leaders and Vic, they're like, we got this right. And now there's like a drop down menu online and you can RSVP and there's sides and there's turkeys and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be the best experience because there is a big difference between when things I can control them or when things are under control. Are you getting the picture? I had to move a bunch of stuff the other day. I'm just going to keep doing this until you start nodding. I had to move a bunch of stuff the other day from one shop to the other. And so I'm there and I can't move it all. And it was Monday morning when we had to do this big move and everyone's working that I know that can move things. And so I'm like, Jen's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, 
That's why God invented dollies. So I'm just going to take about six hours of my life. I'm going to break my back. I'm going to get a dolly. I'm going to move one shop to the other. And then my son Caleb walked in, who's like a strapping 21-year-old. 20, he has a six-pack and all because I gave it to him. That's why I don't have it. I would have it, but I, I gave it to him. You only get one in a family, so I gave it to him, and so I don't have it. And that's, that's my, it's my honor to do that for you, son. And he's like, Dad, I can help you. And so 5 a.m. we rolled in. What would have taken me four and a half hours took us one hour, and then we went to breakfast, right? Because I couldn't control it, but when Caleb got involved, I'm like, oh, now, now it's all under control. There is a big difference between knowing how to control things and knowing that things are under control. When it comes to life and navigating its complexities, dilemmas, and trials, let's look again at what God says in Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. <laughs> Let it resonate in your, in your soul. Be still and know that I am God. Not, not, I'm not God. You're not God. God is God. Be still and know. Uh, how many times in our lives have we been like, I got to fix this. I got to control this. I got to figure this out. I gotta, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to work it. And at some point when you can't, that's when God steps in. He's like, hey, 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 be still and know I've got it under control. I've got it covered because God is in control. I want to look at Mark 4 this morning because we see this truth play out in the lives of the disciples when they're on a boat in a storm. And there's a real good chance that you and I can find truth and hope in our own circumstances and situations from what these men are experiencing. So let's just, if you'll allow me, let's just read through these four or five verses and just take our time this morning and kind of apply this truth. It says in Mark 4, starting in verse 35, on the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. If God says it, it's going to happen. I don't know if you're a note taker. There's a study that says those who take notes have a better chance of getting into heaven. Just throwing it out there. But uh, if God said you could do it, then you could do it. If God says it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. That's just settle it right there. When Jesus said, let's go to the other side, it wasn't perchance, we'll see, maybe it'll work out, gonna do my best, 50-50, um, the odds are against us, odds are for us. No, if God says you're going to do it, if God speaks to your heart, if God says it in his word, then you can take that and believe it. Do you know the context of this? And Bamana, one of our care pastors, preached such a brilliant message a couple weeks ago on the parable of the sower. This is right after Jesus shared the parable of the sower. Just in the same chapter, Mark chapter 4, Jesus is with his disciples and a bunch of people, and he breaks down in a parable, God, the word of God, and how we receive it. And then he goes on to say this, and here's the context of it. Jesus simply said there's this, there's the sower, the soil, and the seed. And the sower is God, and the seed is the word of God. It's what God speaks to us. It's what he wrote in his holy word. And then there's the soil, which is our hearts. And so essentially he said there's, 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 there's four types of soil that we have. There's the, there's the wayside soil, which means you get the word of God and it's instantly stolen. It's instantly gone because distractions in life. There's, it takes no root. It's like it's sown and then it's gone because we get distracted. 
And I'm not just talking bad distractions. It could be good distractions. I'm just so busy. I got this. I got that. I got this. We got soccer. We got baseball. We got football. I got to go to the PTA meeting, and then I got to make dinner, and then we just get distracted. In the word of God, you could be at church, and the person next to you is weeping under the power of God, and you're like, dear Lord, is the game starting? And you're just not, because you're so distracted. And then God says, then, there, then Jesus said, there's the, there's the stony path. And so the, the word of God gets thrown on the stony path. And instantly there's excitement. Like, yes, let's do this. But troubles come. And when troubles come, storms start. Then it's like, oh, no. Nah. You know, so we're excited at first. Like, yeah, I'm for God. And the moment trouble arises, they just didn't have enough time to have root. And this was the context in which Jesus is saying these words. Then he said, there's the thorny path. And the thorny path means you heard it. You heard the word of God and you believed it. And so you're doing pretty well. And it takes some root and there's a little bit of growth. But then, but then the, the cares of life and the riches of this world and our selfish desires choke out the word of God. What we know to be true, what God's spoken to our hearts, what he's written in his word, it's, it's the riches of this life. It's the deception of our selfish. And all of a sudden what was, what was good is now choked out. And then Jesus goes on to say, and the last is the good soil, good ground. He's like, what happens with good ground is the seed is sown and it takes root and you hear it and you accept it as truth and you believe it. And then you watch fruit come from it. Now, that is the context in which Jesus then says, let's go to the other side. If God said he'll do it, then God will do it. God doesn't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He cannot lie. In fact, if God said that there was a purple kangaroo tap dancing here right now in front of me, it wouldn't be true before he said it. But the moment he, the words begin to come out of his mouth, molecules and atoms would zip into place. And by the time God finished saying that, here we would have a purple kangaroo tap dancing because God cannot lie. If God has told you to go do something, if God has spoken to you through his word and he's confirmed it and God has said this is, what, this is what he's leading you to do, God doesn't change his mind and God doesn't revoke his plan. If God said it, God will do it. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's not just like a cool poem that we put on our, the nursery wall in our, in our baby's room. That actually is God's word. And if God says it, he'll do it. I remember when God told my wife and I to move from Atlanta, Georgia to Seattle 15 years ago. 15 years ago. Didn't make any sense. She was born and raised there. All of our kids had been born in Atlanta. This was home for us. We had family there. All of our family was there. In fact, her family and my family. We had been offered a great, great position in a church where we were serving, and they'd asked us to take over that church, a large church. And we just found him, and then all of a sudden God spoke and told us he was sending us to Seattle. It didn't make any logical sense. It didn't make, it did, but we just trusted the Lord with all of our heart, and we didn't lean on what we understood, we just, that he would direct our paths. And 15 years ago, we moved here. And this would never be here. We would not be here. Our lives would not be on the trajectory they are had we not just believed if God says he'll do it, he'll do it. I remember when I was in Chicago and God sent me to South Carolina to go to school, or so I thought. I didn't want to go to South Carolina. I wanted to go to Notre Dame. 
And I got accepted to Notre Dame, but they wouldn't pay for anything. And it's pretty expensive. And so I remember being like, all right, South Carolina said that they'll pay for stuff. So I'm on my way to South Carolina. Here I am thinking like, I don't know. This doesn't fit anything I wanted to do. Little did I know that God took me from Chicago to South Carolina to get me to Atlanta where I would meet my wife. I think going to school in South Carolina was a total waste, except for the fact that God was using it to introduce me to the woman I would spend the next 26 years and the rest of my life with, right? Trust the Lord and he will direct you. That is the word of God. If he says it, you can believe it. I've told this story before and I'll tell it again. <laughs> Probably about a dozen more times as we're at it. When Jennifer was 22, she had, she had a heart condition and she almost died and we had surgery and they had to go in and had to cut open her and do open heart surgery and by a miracle she lived and it was amazing and we thank God it took her six months to recover and she was 22 and there was a lot of questions but at the end of the day I was so grateful so grateful that God had saved her lives and then the bills came and we didn't have insurance back then I mean I was 20 I was 22 insurance I don't even know what that was and so here here come the bills and it was in excess of $120,000 now I don't know how you have it but here's how I don't have it okay especially when I was 23 I'm like I can never pay that in a trillion years I don't have rich family I don't know rich people I don't no one can handle this and so I remember thinking to myself because I'm gonna fix it right I'm gonna fix it so I remember thinking here's how I'm gonna control this instead of tithing God will understand I'm going to take a tithe, and I'm just going to take what I would, that extra that I gave to God in the church, I'm going to give it to the hospital. And it's going to be about $150 a month, which will take me just approximately 98 years to pay off the bill, right? I had it all figured out. And, I mean, I was so overwhelmed by it. I'm so overwhelmed. I'll never forget, I told my dad, who's now with the Lord, but back then I was like, Dad, here's my plan. And he looked at me and goes, son, why would you, why would you do that? I'm like, because, Dad, i got to do something. He's like, okay, well, let's just play it out for a second. Can you pay $120,000? I'm like, no. He's like, so within your own strength, you can't do anything. He's like, yeah. He's like, but who could? I'm like, well, I guess God could. He's like, right. So why don't you go ahead and trust God, not only with your heart, but your finances, because that's your only chance anyways. Why don't you believe that if you trust God with all your heart and lean not on your own, understand that in all your, all your, he will, he will direct you. And it's like, all right, dad, you're probably right. Okay. Thank you. And so I remember we tied, then I called the, I called the hospital the next month and I was like, Hey, I'd like to set up payments for as long as we both shall live. Right. And I'll never forget. I mean, you've heard the story before they, they said, okay, yeah, we're looking at your, okay, paid in full, Mr. Huffman. So we're to go. I'm like, that's impossible. Like there's a, is like a hundred and something thousand dollars. There's no way it's paid. They're like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, Mr. Huffman, but you're wasting my time. Your account's paid in full and we have no more business here. And that was it. It was done. Trust God. If God says he'll do it, if he tells us he'll direct our paths, then he will do it. God told us to start a church. Just so happened to be in the middle of a pandemic. Didn't make any sense. Some of you were there. We're like, what? Why? No one's. But every, all churches were closing down. And God's like, you need to open up. And I'm like, I don't. What would we do? That doesn't make any fiscal sense. Doesn't make any common sense. And yet, we just decided. If God said to do it, then we'll do it. And he just won't, he just won't make it happen. He'll do it with such grace and such ease and such joy. And here we are. And it's God just continues to be God. Trust God. Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross over to the other side. I don't know, but I feel like for, for many of us this morning, certainly myself, I need to just hear those words, be still and know. Just be still. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to figure this out. Okay, this is me. Maybe if it, uh, shh, be still 
and know that he is God. All right, let's keep going. Verse 36. Be still, know that I am God, I'll be exalted. Oh, no, no, yeah, thank you. And now they had, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. The other little boats were also with him. I just want to emphasize, go back to that verse. They took him along in the boat as he was. Now, I checked this in every translation you can find. And in all of them, it just simply says, they took him as he was. As Jesus was. If only we could do the same thing in our lives. Take God as he is. Right? I wish that I had the courage and the faith and the ability to remind myself, take Jesus as he is. Not as I see him or understand him. But that's what I do often. Maybe, maybe it's just me and I'll just preach to myself here for a second. Maybe I'm the only one who takes Jesus as I can understand him. Which is so limited and so small. Like my understanding of God, there's verses in the Bible in Isaiah that says his ways are so much higher than my ways. His thoughts so far beyond my thoughts. Yet many times I take Jesus, I take God as I understand, which is so small and so limited. No wonder my prayers are so below what I should be praying. The Bible says that the disciples took Jesus as he was, not from a perspective that's limited, but as he was. Not God on my terms, but as he is. Um, God isn't, following God and faith in Jesus isn't like going to McDonald's, where it's your way right away. Is that McDonald's or is Burger King? I can't remember which one. Your way right away. My terms. Uh, yeah, can I get the number one meal? Um, but instead of Coke, get a coffee. Instead of bacon, get sausage. You know, and instead of hash browns, get an apple pie. Right? Like it's not, no, no, no. That's not how I approach God. You take God as he is. That's what we're supposed to do. We don't always. We treat God like he's a barista at a Starbucks, right? Like, yeah, hey, how you doing? I'll just take a coffee, but a little extra foam, a little extra. Can you get non-fat? Can you put 165 degrees? Can you? And we just, it's like we're making our order. It, this isn't take Jesus on your terms. Take God as he is. Not as, not as he will be. Not take God as he is right now. You know, one of the titles of God in scripture is the great I am. He's the great I am. Not the great I was, not the great I will be. He's the great I am. He was, is, will be, and always. He is the great I am. If we could approach God like that, your dilemma, decisions we're making, the problems I'm facing, the addictions I'm trying to break, the, the breakthroughs I'm needing, the miracles that I'm needing, whether it's financially or relationally, the help that I need in my marriage or my relationship with my children, if I could look to God as the great I am and take him as he is, all-powerful, all-knowing, not limited in any capacity, yet I limit God all the time. Even in my prayers, I've noticed. I'm probably like, God, if you could just maybe recently, <laughs> recently we were renegotiating the rent on this building with the big wigs in Chicago. And I remember I'm like, I just, I don't know, maybe I just, maybe I won't ask. I don't want to stir the pot. Don't want to get them mad at me, right? And thank God for God and people and counsel and wisdom. And so finally we were like, okay, you know what we'll do? We'll just, we'll just kind of throw it out there and we'll kind of just, you know, we're going to trust God and all this. And sure enough, not only, not only did they drop our rent significantly, but they increased the time that we could be in here. And I didn't even ask for that. And it's almost like God's like, hey, just trust me that I, take me as I am, not as you see me, not as you can wrap your mind around, 
What miracle do you need right now? If you can wrap your mind around, it's not a miracle. What, what breakthrough do you need right now? If you could figure it out, you don't need a breakthrough. Just go do that if you got to so figure it out. No, no, no. When we take God as he is, it means like, okay, it's impossible. I cannot control this. So I'm going to have to be still, take God as he is, and trust that he has everything under control. There's that verse in Psalms where he says he holds the world in his hands, or maybe that's a song, it's somewhere, but you know, he's got the whole world. Is that the scripture verse? I'm sure it's out there somewhere. It says he spans the earth with the span, he holds it with the span of his hand. God is in control. What bothers you does not bother God. What has you worried does not have God worried. And so the Bible says that, he said, let's go over to the other side. And they took Jesus as he was. Take him as he was, because that's all you need. Sometimes I have not realized that Jesus is all I need until Jesus is all I have. And those moments have made it crystal clear for me, like, oh, when all I have is him, I realize that's all I ever needed. Then it goes on to say in verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Oh, man. And a great windstorm arose. Tell me something I don't know. Am I right? Isn't that always the case? Of course a windstorm arose. Of course it did. Just when things were going so great, of course, there's the storm. Now, I don't want to be facetious, but I'm going to be for just a moment, if you'll allow me. Like, how many times has life just been going so well, and God is good, and everything is good, and I'm having the best day, only for a windstorm just to poof out of nowhere? Of course. Oh, man. Almost, I'm, I'm not cynical. I trust God. But I, I, if I didn't follow Jesus, I would definitely be on the cynical side of the spectrum and human personalities, right? And how many times have I just been like, when everything seems good, and everyone's, I'm like knocking on wood. I'm like, hold on. Don't say it's so good. Because the moment we start to be like, man, look how great this is. Uh, what? Did you, did you feel that? feels like the wind's picking up. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, got a little... Got a little cold, didn't it? Yeah. Is that, is that water? Is it raining? You know, like, is that a monsoon? Of course. Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other side. Take me as I am. We're like, let's go. And then just look at this moment right here. They just had a great day. If you were to read earlier on, they were, Jesus was teaching them. It's like a great day in school with, with the Messiah, and he's taught them so many truths, and they feel so encouraged. And before that, if you were to read in Mark chapter 3 and 2, he's healing people and feeding people, and miracles are happening. And then she's like, yo, let's go to the other side. So now they have a mission with a clear goal, and God is with them. And not only is God with them, their friends are with them. All of a sudden, it's like, yo, we're hanging out with God, and we're going to the other side. We're in a yacht. Not a yacht, but it was a boat. And they're like, this is going to be so awesome. Awesome. And of course, in that moment, here comes the storm. <laughs> here it comes. I mean, if you can't relate with this, you must not be living. Because it seems to me, every time I feel like, here we go, we're finally on a roll. Got some momentum in the business, in the relationship, the marriage. We're hugging each other. We're kissing each other. We're writing little love notes to each other. I finally broke that, that thing that's just been kind of pulling me down. And then all of a sudden, just in those moments, I make one mistake. And it's like, one mistake, please. And then, boom, that one mistake turns into a colossal mistake. Or I say one thing. And I, I, mean, I didn't mean it, but I said it, and it's out there. Or I do that one thing, or I look at that one thing, or I make that one decision, or, and then, or I do nothing. I don't do anything. I just follow Jesus, pious and humble and meek. 
and a storm just hits me out of nowhere. Jesus, this is not by chance, by the way. When Jesus told them, hey, let's go to the other side. <laughs> he knew, <laughs> which, you know, if I didn't know how good he was, I think that is evil. It's not. He knows that on your way to where God has called you to go, oh, it's going to rain and the wind is going to blow and the, the storm will rage. But that did not stop God from telling them, let's get in a boat. Let's go to the other side. Look at Jesus in the storm that just arose when things were going so well. Look at Jesus. Look what he does right there in verse. I think it's still verse 37. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. <laughs> this is amazing to me. Jesus isn't just sleeping. He's sleeping comfortably. Now, this, there's a point. Um, that word pillow, you want to know how many times that's used in the Bible? Once right here. This is the only time. Of course, because the Bible's making a point here. Jesus isn't just asleep, which is amazing to sleep through your storms. He's sleeping comfortably. How can I explain this to you? Have you ever slept on a plane? Uh, I can sleep on a plane. I'm not terrible at it. I mean, it's, it's constantly shaking, and they keep hitting my elbow with that drink cart every single time. By the moment I start to doze off, poof, you know, and then they say, excuse me, after they hit you, poof, Excuse me, uh, a few seconds earlier would have helped. And then there's the baby. Maybe it's your baby. I love you and your baby. But my God, my God, NyQuil. That's all I got to say, NyQuil for children. And she's crying and crying. And I feel terrible for the child because it's terribly not happy. Like, help him sleep, you know. And so I can't sleep. And I put my earphones in and they go out. And it's just, I might doze off every now and then. I might get a few moments of shut eye. But it is not good sleep. It's so different from when I'm at my house in my big comfy bed. Like 15 pillows all around me. And that comforter is just so perfect. And the temperature is exactly like I like it. And the blinds are pulled. It's dark. My wife, she's lying next to me. And we're like cuddling. And I, and I can feel her against me. And she's breathing. And we're probably going to have sex at some point. right? Like it's, it's the greatest sleep of my life. So different from sleeping on a plane. The Bible wants to make it clear in Scripture that not only is Jesus asleep, but the only time it uses this word, he's asleep on a pillow. <laughs> even the other gospels don't bring that out. But Mark feels the need, like, yeah, and it was crazy. He, he found a pillow. I don't even do we even have pillows back in those days? But he found a cushion somewhere. And Jesus is like, I'm not just gonna sleep, I'm gonna cozy up. I'm gonna put I'm gonna, I'm gonna sleep comfortably. Jesus sleeps because he's not worried. He sleeps on a pillow because he's completely at ease. Now, please follow me on this. Let's watch Jesus in the storm so we know how to conduct ourselves. He sleeps because he is not worried about the storm. And he sleeps on a pillow because he is completely at ease in the storm. Now, it's one thing for me to not be worried. But just because I'm not worried doesn't mean I'm at ease. There's two, there's two principles here. Not worrying about what might come and being at ease and what is. Two principles. Like I can, I cannot be worried, but I'm grinding. I'm not worried, but I'm grinding. I'm not worried, but I'm on edge. I'm not worried, but I'm, I'm day to day. Day to day. Just day to day. Not worried. Not worried, man, but day to day. That's on me. I'm not worried, but I'm unsettled. I'm not worried. I'm not worried, but I'm completely unsettled. 
No, no, Jesus is saying, we, not only when we follow God, when God is with you, and he is, not only is there no need to worry, but you can live completely at peace. At peace. Total ease. I'm wearing socks. Robin gave them to me. He goes to our church. They say, I don't know if you can see them. Easy like Sunday morning. We don't have cameras, but anyways, if you could see. Uh, I believe that. Life. Life isn't easy. But following God, well, there's an ease to it. Jesus is making a point. I'm not just going to fall asleep in the middle of the storm. I'm going to sleep on a pillow. It's one, of our, it's one of our values as a community. Psalms 116. We named, it's part of the inspiration for why we call this 116 church. Some of you call it 116. That's totally cool. Go ahead. But it's 116. <laughs> Some of you call it 116. That's better. 116 just blows my mind. But 116 is what we call it. And here's one of the inspirations, Psalms 116.7. It says, now I can say to myself and to everyone, relax and rest. Be confident and serene. Confident and calm at the same time. For the Lord rewards fully those who what? Simply trust in him. This is one of our values. We can go big and be at ease at the same time. Go big. Please do. I'm going to go big. God's a big God. So why would we go? Why, why would we not? I'm going to go big in, my, in the dreams God's put in my heart. Let's go big in our businesses. Let's go big in our families, in our relationships. Let's live big lives. Let's be big people. Let's not get easily offended. Let's laugh. Let's be merry. Let's enjoy. Let's believe. Let's dream. Let's try it and give it a go. But at the same time, be at ease. Because I know what it is to go big and be completely at unease. Just, just vexed striving and stressed and angry and don't talk to me I'm doing things for God (laughs) that's not what Jesus is trying to show us here no you can you can still go to the other side and be completely and totally at rest that's what we get as followers of Jesus success and fulfillment is not measured in the height of my goal but rather in the rest in my soul. That's a poem. I didn't even know that. It's not, success isn't measured in the height of your goal, how big your dreams are. No, it's measured, and I found this at 46 now, in the rest of my soul. My soul is at rest. Well, what are you doing? Nah, I'm going to do what God told me to do. But in all that we do, we could be at ease. We could be at rest. You ever, you ever accomplish so much, but you have no space to enjoy it? You ever make all that money, but you have, you have no time to spend it or, or give it or help? You ever work so hard and get moved up the, the corporate ladder and, and get so high and then realize when you get there, like, I don't even like who I am anymore or who I became to get to this place. You ever, no, no, we can actually go to the other side with Jesus as he is and do it with ease. Now, doesn't mean we won't work hard, but working hard, there's an ease to that. Working hard is good for us. It's good for your soul. It's good for who you are. It makes you a better person. I'm not talking about not working hard. I'm talking about not striving and stressing and grinding with no reward. No, Jesus was asleep on a pillow. Which brings us to verse 38 in the close of my sermon. So Jesus says, go to the other side. The Bible says that the disciples took him as he was. It says that a great windstorm arose. And then it says that Jesus was asleep on a pillow in the middle of that storm. And then it goes on, verse 38. And the disciples, they said, 
Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, they know Jesus. In fact, they've been with Jesus for quite some time now at this point. And they, they know who he is. They know that he's the Messiah. It's kind of been revealed to them, at least Peter. They're, they're starting to see the miracles that he has, his love for them, his care for them. That he's, he's like, he's divine. And yet, because of the storm and their current situation, they ask God, don't you care that we are perishing? Allow me to fill in the answer. He does, and you're not. Don't you care that we're perishing? He does, and you're not. And I'm speaking to myself for a second here. God, don't you even care? It's perishing here. He does, and you're not. You're like, well, no, no, I actually am dying, Billy. I actually am dying. Actually, we're all dying. <laughs> we all are. The moment you started living, the countdown to you dying started. We're all dying. You're not perishing. The Greek word in scripture here, perishing, means ruin or loss. No, 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 no. No, no. When you follow God, there is no perishing. Oh, yeah, you have moments, highs and lows, but you cannot perish with God. You can't be ruined, utterly destroyed. Not when you follow God. No way. No way. It's not how it works. That's not how it works. Now, he might not give you the yachts that you want and the Mercedes that you want and all the things that you want and the things that you're praying for because he knows what's best for you. And if he gives you that, that's awesome. I'd love a ride and on both of those things. But, it, but, but you're not. You cannot perish when you follow God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes shall not perish. This isn't talking about dying. Everybody's dying. I'm not being negative. That is a fact of life. We're all closer to death every moment. And death is not something we fear because God has overcome death. This, this life is merely a dressing room for eternity. I'm not afraid of death. I mean, there's moments, I get it, but you understand beyond this, this small moment that we call life, there is an eternity with God. My daughter surrendered the other day. She's like, Dad, it's weird to think we'll live forever. It kind of makes me sad. I'm like, yeah, don't think about it. You can't comprehend it. But just think every day will be like Christmas Eve, you know, <laughs> or whatever day you love. If it's the 4th of July, whatever it is for you with God. Oh man, eternity is, we can't even comprehend it. We're all dying. I said, don't you care that we're perishing? We're facing utter ruin, total loss. He does care, and you're not. Can I just say that to you, and can you, can you please believe it this morning? You're not perishing. Oh, I'm going to lose everything. No, you're not. Not if you're following God. Not if your trust is in God. Not if you're not leaning on your own understanding, but you're, all of your ways, you're, you're acknowledging Him. No, no, you, you are not going to perish. You will not. I'm going to lose it all. No, you won't. <laughs> I'm lose some things. We all lose some things. Life is just a part of it, taking some things from us. But I'm telling you what, you will not perish if God is with you. You will not. Don't you care? This shows us how much or how little the disciples knew about Jesus at this point. 
they didn't know that Jesus's mission on earth was solely based on the premise that he cares, that he showed up to die for their sins and to die for our sins so that we could all have life. They don't know that. You know who knows that? We do. <laughs> we know. They didn't know. They were learning real time. Like God was opening their eyes real time. But you know who knows right now? We do. You and I know that God cares. We know it. We can see it throughout all scripture. We see it in their lives right here. Oh, he cares. No one cares like God cares. And I am not perishing. I might be in a storm. The winds might be blowing and it might be really rough right now. But I'm not, I'm not going under because God is with us. Look how easily he calms the storm. Look how easily he calms it. He didn't have to conjure up some kind of spell. He didn't have to pray and grab all the guys and get in a circle. And I mean, that's what I would do. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But like, let's all join our faith together. Let's believe. Jesus simply just gets up and he says, peace, be still. And the elements obey him. And they don't just obey him. God didn't just calm the storm and stop the wind from blowing. The Bible says, in a great calm came upon the water. So it went from normal to chaotic. And God didn't just end the chaos, but then he caused there to be a great calm, even more calm than it was before they began. And I'm telling you, that's what God will do in our lives. He won't just stop the storm from raging in our lives because he can when he wants to, but then he brings about such calm that we can't even believe it's real. This is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I hope we're taking God as he is. I hope we're trusting that if he said we'll get to the other side, we will. And he does care. And you're not perishing. Which brings us to Psalms 4610. I'll read it again. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. This isn't redundant. This is specific. God's not repeating himself in Psalms. He's being specific. I'll be exalted in the nations, which is close to you. It's where you are. It's personal. It's right, right, right. And the things that are affecting you, God will be exalted in that. He's going to take care of that. And he said, I'll be exalted in the earth, which is over it all. In control of everything. Everywhere. All the time. God was, was with the disciples in their moment, their temporary moment to help them. And then he was, in a word, calming the wind and the waves. He's in it all. He's not so big that he can't be right where you are in your marital struggle, in your financial struggle, and the depression. He's right there. And then he's over everything. So when it's beyond us and we can see no way out, this is what Jesus said. And then, you know, he, he's still the, and they said, who is this that speaks to the waves and they listen to him? He's God. He's God. So how can we be still in the storm? How can I be still and still get to the other side? Well, it's the title of this series, and we find it in verse 11. And the psalmist says, the Lord of hosts is with us. 
for you are with me. That's how. My prayer is that you and I can go through today and tomorrow and all that God's called us to do, and we could be still. I'm praying this for us, I'm praying this for me. Be still in my soul because I know he's with me. That's why. Because everything worked out, it may not work out the way I think it's supposed to. Because God gave you everything you wanted, I'm glad he hasn't because everything I want probably isn't of him. Because, you know, you just, it's just easy. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's really, really hard. But there's an ease in it. No, no, I can be still. You can be still. Because you know that God is with you. He is. He's with you. And it's my prayer that we'll, we'll live our lives like we actually know that. So God, right now, would you help us to see you in the midst of it all? Lord, the storms that some of us are facing uh, issues that we're up against. God, help us to see you. Remind us again that you're with us. And Lord, I pray that we will be still. Help us, God. Still our souls and our emotions and our minds and our thoughts. Lord, not, not this super spiritual meditation, but just the, the power that comes from trusting in you, knowing that you're with us. I thank you for confidence and calm. I thank you that we can rest and run as we trust in you. Lord, I pray that right now. Lord, all the voices and all the turmoil and all the commotion in our souls, be still. Lord, I pray you give us peace and ease that transcends our circumstances and our dilemmas. Help us to trust you in all of it, God, in all of it. Jesus' name I pray. With every eye closed, your head still bowed. If you're in here and you'd like to put your faith in Jesus, I'd be honored to pray with you. And the Bible simply says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if you're in here in just a few moments, I'm going to count to three. And if you would like to put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I get to three. And that way I know who I'm praying for. Every eye is closed. This is personal between you and God. And it's the most important decision we'll make in our whole life. God is not a genie in a bottle. He doesn't give us everything we want, but he is with us in everything. And if you have that, you have it all. And so I'd be honored to pray with you this morning. If you're in here and you say, today, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I don't understand everything, but I trust him. I choose his way. I'd be honored to pray with you. So if that's you, would you lift your hand when I get to three? One, two, three, wherever you are. Thank you. Put it up, put it right back down. Anyone else? I see you. Just pop it up, put it right back down so I know I'm praying for. Amen. God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. From this moment forward, Jesus, we put our faith in you. We trust you. We repent of sins we've committed. Some we were aware of, others we weren't. But Lord, today we choose to follow you. Thank you for loving us before we loved you. And thank you for inviting us into your family. In Jesus' name. Amen.